From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 481 for October 16th, 2023. Today's show is brought to you by Electric, ZocDoc, Delete Me, and Notion. My name is Mike Hurley, and I have the pleasure of being joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason. Hello, Michael Hurley. It's it a new week. good to hear you. It is a new week. Mm-hmm. New Upgrade, new week, everybody. Mm-hmm. We get That's it started. Let's get it started now. Let's get it started in here. It's time to upgrade your week with us. It, Every every week gets, gets is upgraded by better. having upgrade be in it. I have a snow talk question from Mark. He says, "Of okay. all of the recent talk about the fine woven iPhone cases, some people mention that the case comes into contact with their keys and it scratches the case. Do you keep your keys in the same pocket of your phone?" Um, <laughs> two part two part answer here. When I carried keys oh! back in the before time wow i did not future. keep them with my phone because mm-hmm. it will scratch the screen yes and you're a monster if you put your keys Agreed. or any other scratchy thing in the pocket with your phone you can't do it don't do it phone pocket is just all it is phone pocket phone pocket you could put something soft in there if you really wanted to but no. you probably shouldn't no it's the same so you put your phone in a bag it goes in its own pocket with nothing else uh, in it yes Mm-hmm. That's the way. So, but the truth is, I don't carry keys anymore. I have, I have, just as I no longer several years ago switched to the I don't carry cash, which the Apple Wallet has been great for because now I just have a little magnetic thing with three cards in it on the back of my phone, and that's it. You have a fine woven one of those, don't you? <laughs> uh, there is one in my house. <laughs> I am still I actually I had that moment the other day where I uh was looking down at my my brand new uh iPhone 15 Pro and uh the leather case on the back and I was like forbidden <laughs> you're not supposed to know about this iPhone 15 we used to make things out of leather <laughs> but don't tell it don't tell it what it's it is it thinks it's fine woven I'm sure I'm sure it thinks that um, anyway, so I did that. I, I I I don't carry a wallet. I don't carry cash, and I've managed to get to the point where I don't need to carry keys because um, there are you know I've got if I leave the house and have to drive a car, I there is a key hanging on a little hook by the door, and then I will take that and I will I will. I suppose it may end up in a pocket at some point, right? I, I have to put it in a pocket at some point. It would be the non-phone pocket. But it's that's like my key usage is real low at this point. Like I used to have a key ring with keys on it. Uh our front door doesn't need a key anymore. Like I just I don't have keys anymore. Uh, uh which is great. I love it because it furthers my I guess what we discovered when I was going through that therapy session with Steven, my apparently minimalist approach to life, which is, you know, I'm I'm reducing clutter in a lot of areas and then focusing all my clutter on podcast t-shirts. Makes sense. Who wouldn't want to do it? That's where I'm not a minimalist. Yeah. To the point where I now have two drawers of my dresser full of t-shirts and I have a drawer out here in the garage of other t-shirts that I rotate in. Do you because mean t-shirts like the wonderful wears available upgradeyourwardrobe.com for like one more day if you're listening to this, but then we also have yeah. the on-demand t-shirts that are always available? 
Well, what I was going to say is if you'd like to be like me and be a t-shirt mac- maximalist, a prod- podcast t-shirt maximalist, upgrade to your wardrobe.com. Right now, for some, always for others. Mm-hmm. But if you want that hoodie now, now, right now. Right now. Thank you to Mark for sending in that question. If you would like to help us open a future episode of the show, just go to UpgradeFeedback.com and send in your own Snell Talk question. We have a variety of follow-up today, Jason Snell. There's a bit mm-hmm. of a grab bag of follow-up here. Uh, first, is that it says Jason went to a concert last week and used AirPods Pro as earplugs. I think you, along with about 50% of the people I follow on Instagram, went to see Death Cab for Cutie this weekend in one of the various yes. places that they were playing. Yep. I saw, it, uh, I saw them at the Greek Theater in Berkeley on Wednesday. Um, fantastic. Just fantastic. I've been to, I think, four different shows now where a band has played their album. This is a thing now, right? Yep. Yeah, where a band just album. plays an, an album mm-hmm. front to back. And I, I have two thoughts about this. One is, everybody stop. Death Cab for Cutie and the Postal Service did it. It's not going to get much better than that, so stop. Oh, interesting. Because otherwise, uh, some of the other concerts I've been to, there was one where uh, the realization partway through was, oh, I skip a lot of tracks on this album. It's a classic album with a lot of great hits, but there was also a lot, a lot of songs that aren't very good. And I wondered if the band thought that too, but they said they would play it, so they played it all. And then I had another one where it was almost like the artist had been held hostage by his bad decision that was suggested by his manager. And you could tell he'd be like, oh, yeah, my manager suggested that I play this whole album. And then later in the show, he's like, okay, guys, we got to get through this. <laughs> and I realized, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> he, is, he also has decided that this is not a great show playing an album straight through. That said, I've also been to a good album show uh, before. And then this one, which was great, uh, legitimately just great. It was uh, Transatlanticism and uh, Give Up. And it was wonderful. And I didn't, I thought, what am I going to do for for earplugs? I have in the past taken literally my in-ear monitors and put them in my ears <laughs> without just, you know, not plugged in. I thought, you know, AirPods, let's try the AirPods Pro. Let's see how those work. Um, and it's funny because then I listened to Marco talk about this on ATP and I was like, ah, Marco, did you wait for the week that I actually got to try this out and then talk about your experience at a fish concert? Although he tried it in an iOS 16 era. So I got to try out adaptive transparency as well. Mm. I'm here to report that for my money, transparency mode is the best mode. It um, With the, uh, the reduced loud sounds turned on, uh, it sounds really good without blowing out your eardrums. Adaptive transparency, it it's trying to filter out certain kinds of sounds. It sounds weird. I don't think that would be good for a concert. I, I don't think. No, and noise canceling is worse. Noise canceling is like, it, it's like the what it's filtering, what it's not. It's a very distorted, strange view of what's going on in the outside world. But I, I had pretty good luck with transparency mode. It sounded pretty good. I, I did not bring uh, standard earplugs like Marco did to compare it to, but I was actually pretty happy with that. And the bottom line is if you're somewhere... And you don't have earplugs, and you do have AirPods Pro, um, and you're worried about hearing protection. You should use them because it will pr- afford you some degree of of protection from it. And and I, the Death Cab set in particular, was real loud, and I was able to put those in my ears, and uh, and it was quieter. And then I took them out for uh, a, for quieter songs, but for the real loud songs, I popped them back in. Probably and they didn't need pretty, the postal pretty, service. I'm gonna, well. I'm gonna guess postal service. Was loud, but not that loud, and 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 I in fact took them out for postal service. 
because it was fine. I had them out for the Beths and Postal Service, but for Death Cab, I had to put them in for a lot of the songs because they were super loud. Uh, do you not feel socially awkward wearing AirPods at a concert? No. See, I think I, I don't would. Care. I don't know any of those people other than Lauren, and she had hers in too. I you just have don't, a healthier view of the world I don't care. and of yourself, but I think I would feel strange uh, wearing AirPods at a concert. Nah, I, I, I just don't. I don't, I don't care. I mean, ultimately, I don't know any of those people. Mm. Actually, somebody did come up to me in between the breaks. Dan Wood of uh, Karelia Software, developer and local uh, area resident, spotted me, apparently, and came over and said hi. He, he was working the event. He had a windbreaker on. Um, he said, yeah, I get to guard the VIP area and see a lot of free shows. <laughs> I'm like, actually, that's kind of cool. So, But yeah, it doesn't bother me. I, like, again... I'm not, I'm not, you can't hear anybody anyway. So you're like, it's not going to block you out. It's really just that there are earpods in your ears. And like, everybody's already making decisions about if they have headphones in their ears or not. I just, I just didn't, I didn't care. I I just wanted to protect my ears. And so I did. It was fine. Uh, I've made a concerted effort to use the adaptive transparency mug. Mm Mm-hmm. I love it. Because I tried it and didn't like it. And... But that was just one day. And I was like, no, like they've obviously done this for a reason. Let me try it. So I've been using it every day since iOS 17 came out. And it's not perfect, but I think it's I think it's good for like my daily usage. Mm. Um, you know, depending on where I am depends on how much I notice it or not. You know, like when I'm in louder environments, I notice that it's happening, right? Because I can it feels like I'm in um, noise cancellation mode. You know, like that. Just, mm-hmm. For me, at least, noise cancellation mode has a certain feeling, and adaptive yeah. transparency mode has a little bit of that feeling sometimes. But I do figure, like, I am at least in areas there where there is loud stuff happening, and I've been putting it through certain tests just myself. Like, if I'm walking around and it's filtering out traffic noise, I'm like focusing on what's around me and like, can I hear these other things? I would say it does a surprisingly good job for me of I I don't feel like the world is drowned out completely, which is what would worry me. So I've I've decided I'm going to keep it in this mode. Like it's an interesting idea. It's one of these things that I think will get better with time too. Um, sure. But overall, like I what I would say is if you if you tried it and then immediately stopped using it, I think it might be worth a little bit of a longer try mm-hmm. in like different environments. Like one of the places that I really like is like uh, if I'm if I'm not listening to a podcast and I'm uh, you know at my studio in the bathrooms they have like like their hand dryers right, uh, and if I'm drying my hands, it like shuts that sound out, which I just think is pretty cool. Not massive of a thing to do for my life, but I like that it's doing that. It's it's being pretty smart. But the thing I've actually come to value more is conversational awareness. I know you don't like it for the reason you don't like it. Um, yes, talking when you're to talking to animals. your dogs, but I don't yeah. have that problem. And I would say right. it is very very good. Right, like I'm listening to something and I want to say something to my wife, or I'll go to a coffee shop and I'll make an order. I just start talking. And I know that my AirPods are going to take care of everything else. It will so, first lower things, then it will pause it, and then it will wait and play again. Like, I think it's pretty good. So, uh, note to Apple, if there's anybody who works on this team who's listening, um, I'd love to be able to assign conversational awareness on-off to a gesture on the AirPods. 
like left AirPod squeeze. So I could do right AirPod squeeze for toggling the sound modes and mm. left conversational awareness because I'm about to go on an airplane. Conversational awareness is great on an airplane because the you know the the flight attendant comes up to you and says do you want you know, something to drink <laughs> and i i used it on a plane flight a while ago and was like oh yeah this is really nice and then i got home and i tried to talk to my dog and i was like oh god i got to and you got to go into the settings to turn it off it's not it's not convenient to do so so i would like that adaptive mode i love it it what i try to describe it to people is it is adaptive transparency so it's like a better transparency mode. The idea with transparency is I'm going to pipe everything through to you as if you're not wearing these. And then noise cancellation is I'm going to try to block everything I can so that you're in this vacuum, which like leads some people like you to feel like a weird kind of feeling because it's that vacuum feeling, right? And this feature is trying to split the difference. And I think it does a great job. Like, I don't use transparency mode anymore, except at a rock concert where I turned it on. Uh, But normally, I toggle between adaptive and noise canceling because adaptive, like when I'm out on a run, adaptive works for me. It is, I I can hear everything that's going on around me, but it's like, I, I live near a freeway. There is broadband freeway noise in the background, especially on my run when I run right up to mm. next to the freeway. Um, it filters some of that stuff out, making it easier to hear what I'm listening to. But I can still hear the world around me. I still know when cars are coming and where they're coming from and all of those things, which is really great. Um, in certain public spaces at, at an airport, something like that, I might want to be more aware like of uh, announcements or something like that. I don't want to go full noise canceling necessarily, but uh, having it dampen it down a little bit is nice. So I'm a big fan of it and I'm using it now instead of standard transparency. I think it's a really good feature. Conversational awareness, yeah, I just like to turn it on and off more quickly because there are modes when I want it and modes when I don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a question from Tim who wants to know what photo slide scanning service did Jason use for his mother-in-law's slide photos in the 1960s as mentioned last week? Right. I I specifically didn't mention it only because I always am reluctant to mention something when I literally tried it once. Everybody's results will vary. And I didn't compare it to anybody else's. Right. So all you're getting is a word of mouth like I tried Scan Cafe. It worked fine. I don't know if it's better or worse than any other service that's out there. All I can tell you is I tried it and it worked fine. So Scan Cafe is sometimes that's all people need. You know? Yeah, I know. It's just you know, again, it's not because it makes it sound like an endorsement. And the only thing I can endorse is I did it once and they properly scanned the things that were in there. And now I have them. Yeah. You don't want to be responsible for someone's like, I can't believe you recommended scan cafe because they did a terrible thing to me. And I'm like, guys, you know, I I can't believe you recommended scan cafe. Didn't you know they're owned by vampires? I'm like, look, I just looked on, it was, (laughs) <laughs> they did the mesh. Uh, anyway, I didn't do that. I I just I I looked at a bunch of sites and what their policies were and what their prices were and tried them out. And um, I, what here's what I will recommend: just doubling back on this whole topic. If you have stuff locked away or you have relatives with stuff locked away, I mean, Lauren's mom gave us these slides. These are from her ma- first marriage. So uh, 
she got them in the divorce, basically, and yet they were from an unhappy time in her life, and they've mostly sat completely unused. I mean, they're they're slide carousels. When was the last time they pulled out a slide carousel at all? Probably never. Um, and she gave them to us because they were cleaning out the garage, and, and she was basically like, this is when you were a baby. <laughs> you might want these, and Lauren took them. And they sat in our garage, f- taking up lots of space. I delayed this forever i could not be happier to have gone through this process whether you use scan cafe or something else literally the way it worked is they they sent you part of your price includes the shipping which i think is a really nice touch so like you just get air bills you just get things to stick on a box and take it to in our case the ups store which is right around the corner and just hand them in and they do have a drop-off place in some places um, if you're afraid they'll get lost in the mail. But for me, it was just like, no, get them out of here. I don't want them back. I want them gone and then in digital form because then we can actually look at them. And there are some amazing pictures in there mm. that were lost for forever until they got unearthed in this way. So I'm a real proponent of the idea of scanning in old negatives or even prints uh, it's better if you've got a backup, uh, if those exist, some of them exist as prints cause then you're taking a risk, but boy, it, in the end, we live in an era where if they're not in your photo library, they don't exist. So your digital photo library. So I, I was very happy to do it. And at one point here, I'm going to round up all of our, um, negatives and send them all into from the film era. Matt wrote in to say, Jason's story about user forums hits home. I just wanted to say that not all of Adobe's forums are the same. It varies by product. I work on the Premiere Pro engineering team, and every new forum post goes directly to a Slack channel that we monitor. We can't reply to all of them, but when we spot one where we know we can help, we jump in and do so. I wanted to give Adobe the opportunity to speak for themselves, you know? I appreciate this, that the idea that maybe it varies by product. And I was really, I mean, my, my biggest user forum complaints were about Apple's forums, uh, I was looking up something else over the weekend. I, I heard from somebody who said they just do a, in Google, they do minus site colon discussions.apple.com. <laughs> like search Apple, but not that Apple. I, I don't want those. I mean, really these days, I think realistically what you're looking for is is the subreddits. Like it seems to be where that is the, where the majority of useful stuff, even though it's also a lot of that nonsense, but the upvoting yeah. and downvoting system can deal with a lot yeah. of that. Yeah, there, there, there are. Yeah, I think you're right. But, but here's the thing. This is why I did that. I did that rant about those user forums. Is they have this veneer of being official, and they allow the uh, the actual companies to link to them and say, "Oh yes, we'll use our forums." And uh, I don't think, like I said last week, I actually think that that's kind of giving up. And you're right. There are better places to discuss this stuff. Uh, than the official forums. And you end up with these people who have 20,000 points and seem super official, um, but they're not, and they're not always particularly helpful. And I did hear from a bunch of people who were like, oh boy, I know that I know what you're talking about and it's terrible. <laughs> so anyway, yes, I, um, yeah, yeah. We, we did some, uh, we, we did, I did a couple of rants last week. It's not, mm-hmm. I got, I got, I saw somebody complain. They're like, oh, every week they're just ranting about stuff. And I'm like, what? <laughs> did it once anyway uh well, i mean a lot maybe of they think every episode's it. a rant you know i'm not gonna know. do a rant every week and that's fine but um but it just worked out that way i don't know i don't know I why did, I don't, i've never liked the word rant i don't like it yeah i don't like it it's not not one of my favorites no uh sonoma video reaction so the camera little video reaction things that you can do with yes. sonoma 
They're being frowned upon by online therapy company Simple Practice, who now shows an interstitial <laughs> warning before calls. So we saw this in a Slack that we're in, um, yes. and it was actually from Matt Howie, who is Matt Howie. He posted it on Mastodon too. I'm Mastodon, gonna. This which... is in my to write list for six colors because it's such a fascinating idea of a I think maybe misguided or misunderstood uh, choice by Apple in building this feature where they didn't really think about all yep. of the details when they created a new feature and then turned it on by default without a lot of warnings about it. Yeah. Because Matt was mentioning it. Um, he posted a message on it led to The Verge uh, writing this up where someone was on a call with their therapist and the therapist gave a thumbs up and fireworks started exploding behind them during a very uh, uh, awkward moment. And I wanted to just jump in and say I had the exact same thing happen to me. <laughs> uh, I was on a call with my therapist and all of a sudden balloons started appearing behind balloons! me. And he said, "Was it the happiest therapy session ever?" No, no. Uh, <laughs> oh. And so oh. I, I think at mm. the, I don't even know what causes balloons. By the way, like I couldn't work it out. That is what is that? Two thumbs up, I or is that know. fireworks? I think that's fireworks. I think it might be the peace sign. I think or something like that. Yeah. But nevertheless, know. look, this is a good feature and it is a fun feature. And I will say, someone in the Discord's like, "Isn't it relatively easy to disable?" That is really not a great like. It's just not a helpful thing to say. If like you had you were in a therapy session and you weren't and like me, yeah, person who cares about this stuff. I, one, it's turned on automatically, right? When you upgrade to Sonoma. It was, I think, I've been using Sonoma for two days, and I do want it on sometimes, but, like, so, like, I do want the feature on because I think it's funny, but, like, the idea that, like, you could, it's just not, not context-aware. Like, it's a good feature, but it's just, like, it's also an awkward feature. Like, I think it would maybe be better to have it as, like, opt-in, opt-out on certain apps and services, which I don't know if it's possible to do, but... I just don't really necessarily like it's it, this is this this is an interesting feature. It's a cool thing that it does, but it also is a little bit weird. Yeah. I I think there's a, a reactions pop up that happens when you first connect a camera your first time in Sonoma. But we also know that everybody ignores those and clicks through them, right? They're like get let me cuz you're in, in the act of doing something, get me to my thing, right? But we also know that if you don't turn on the feature it is unlikely to ever be turned on because people don't go past the defaults very often. Also saying, yes, as you said, saying it can be turned off is one thing, but like knowing how to turn it off is an entirely other thing. And the moment happened regardless, right? So I think this is interesting. I agree that there should probably be an API um, that tells Apple, because remember this is happening in the video subsystem. It's not happening in the apps. The apps are just getting camera. And the camera has been processed by the system. So giving app developers an API to control this or turn it off so that, for example, a teletherapy app could say no, <laughs> right? Just no. Mm -hmm. Or a Zoom or something like that could have it be in Zoom preferences where you might look for it even though it's actually up in the menu bar. Um, there are, or, and you could maybe set it per account or something like that. Like there's probably more controls that could be done here about this. I, I just, I'm fascinated because I imagine app, Apple was like, no, this is great. We'll just turn it on. And it wasn't thinking about people having intense therapy sessions and then 
random animations are happening in the background. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's uh, fa it's fascinating. Again, I don't think this is one of those like, oh, how dare Apple? But it's like, this is the challenge, right? Because they want the people to use the new feature. They think it's fun. Um, they turned it on, I think for reasons. I think there's a warning, but the truth is people are still going to be caught unawares and some of those contexts are not great. Yeah, because I do want the feature. Like I do want right. the feature, but I'm not necessarily thinking when I'm accepting it as like in my mind during FaceTime that when I'm having my Google Meet calls with my therapist right. that I could... Because here's the thing, like you, you don't necessarily think about the fact that you might just hold your hand to your face and then the balloons go off, which I think is what happened right. to me, right? Because right. I just put my hand to my face and then all of a sudden there were balloons and or it, something like it that. Thought, I thought there were balloons for some, it was a right, it was not now, computer, not now. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, again, I think having, letting the individual apps kind of make their decisions might be good. Uh you know, I don't know. I'm sure they had the question of like, the first time this is going to be triggered, do we not trigger it and then put up a dialogue? And you're like, yeah, but you're in the middle of a video meeting right then. Um, so people aren't going to want to pay attention. Do you wait until after the, you know, after it's triggered for the first time? Do you wait in a delay after they're in their first usage of video, but it's done to say, hey, we've got this new feature. I, It's not an easy answer, but it leads to instances like what you experienced or what Matt experienced, which I just, yeah, I think it's it's a tough decision-making chain. Yeah, and it's, it's a good feature. It's a fun thing to have. It's just like, and I don't think this should mean that they do or don't make it, but like this is the result of making a decision like that. Because like, you know, some uh, Ramon in the Discord is like, it should, it should just be limited to FaceTime. I wouldn't want it to be the case. I actually no. am happier that they've baked it into the camera system. But this is the downside of doing that. Right. And, and also, talk about having a, a, a challenging decision to make. I believe that the settings on it are... Are they global or are they per app? And that's part of the challenge, too, is if you think... I think they're per app... Which means you think you turned it off and then you're in a different app and it does it again. And you're like, what? If The good thing is if it's per app, you can have it on in FaceTime and Zoom and not have it on in Chrome or whatever, right? And that, that would work. For, for the record, if you're using Sonoma, when a webcam is in use, a blue camera icon appears in your menu bar. And if you click on it, you can see all of your camera controls, and there are lots of them. There's some really great stuff in there. It's a new feature. You can like zoom and 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 not use center stage, but instead have it have it center you one time, click to center. Uh, and then there's um, reactions, and you can turn it them off. You can turn them off. And if they're on and you don't want to make the gestures, you can also trigger them mm -hmm. without making the gestures from that same menu. There's lots of stuff in there, but you have to know that there's the blue menu with the camera icon and that there are controls under it. Um, but I do think it's per app, which means that, you know, you if if you turn it off once, you haven't turned it off forever. You've only turned it off forever for that app and you need to keep that in mind too. So if you do all your family stuff on FaceTime and that's great and you do all your corporate stuff on Zoom and that's not great, you can, I believe it's per app and you can do that. We're not on video now, so we don't know. This episode is brought to you by Electric. When you are leading a small business, 
It's not all glitz and glamour. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours onboarding your employees, which are well-equipped to deal with, but maybe you don't have all of the time to deal with it. Because building a business takes work. You want to make sure that you're focused on what's coming next for you and your employees so you can take your business to the next level and sometimes just keep it going from day to day. Your attention is pulled in different directions. That is the reality of leading a business. The team at Ele- over at Electric, they know that small business businesses like yours face these challenges and that's why they're on hand to help with all of the time consuming parts of your business like standardized device security setup with best in class device management software so you're able to implement best practices across the board and be ready to scale they have employee onboarding and offboarding solutions done are done for you which will save you an average of 8 hours per request electric will also help you keep a single point of visibility into your IT environment so you can control your devices network and applications with simplified reporting to allow you to achieve and maintain compliance, which is important stuff. Electric also has proactive IT recommendations and automated workflows to make your IT easy to manage, even for non-technical users. If you're hearing this and you think that your company could use some of these services, but you're not sure how to get started, Electric also have experts on hand to guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT processes for your organization. Maybe you don't know how to get... I mean, honestly, I wouldn't know how to do this. <laughs> like, I'm a very technical user. Uh, I don't know how would be best to set up a standardized IT process for my business and all of the people within it and all the devices. I don't know how to do that. I don't, wouldn't want to take the time to learn because that's going to take my attention away from other places. This is why Electric is great. They do all of this hard stuff for you so you don't have to. You don't have to take the time to learn it. You don't have to take the time to manage it. All you need to do is go to electric.ai slash upgrade. That's where you can sign up. And for upgrade listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. That's electric.ai slash upgrade. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. A thanks to Electric for their support of this show and Relay FM. Uh, I have a rumor roundup, Jason Snell. There's some spicy stuff in here today. Ooh, yeehaw. So we're going to start off by talking about uh, an article written by Jeff Poo, who is predict well, there is an analyst, Jeff Poo, who is predicting that the first Apple product to get a micro LED display is still going to be the Apple Watch, but it may not be until 2025. The reason I wanted to mention this is because I'm thinking maybe over the next few months or so, or next 12 months, to be looking out for things that may or may not be in that rumored Apple Watch X that Mark Gurman Mm -hmm. was talking about. And one of the things that we were wondering is if it was going to get this new display technology, and it looks like, no, that it would miss that. Um, And what I wanted to ask you is, do you think that a new display, some kind of micro LED display, which would be, you know, better clarity, better uh, uh, color, and probably a better battery. Do you think we would see this come to the Apple Watch Ultra or the regular Apple Watch first? What do you think makes the most sense? Um, I don't know. I mean, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on availability. It depends on how much it costs, if it's expensive. Um, Ultra seems to be a great place to introduce these features because it's more expensive, right? Unless Mm -hmm. they've got a, a fancy... The Apple Watch X 10, whatever rumor is interesting because the idea there is there's like a next gen Apple Watch coming and would they do it like the iPhone 10 where they'd keep the series around, but then they'd have this new watch that was like the future watch and it was expensive. 
and that's different from the Ultra, I guess. I don't know. Um, I guess. The, the Apple Watch X, which I'm calling it for now, just because it's easier in my brain, um, that is a terrifying prospect for me, honestly, because I'm really loving my Apple Watch Ultra. Right. For the battery life, especially. And I'm wondering if they bring out this Apple Watch X with these new features, will I have to go away from the Ultra to get the best Apple Watch again? I would hope not. Well, I mean, but what about the battery life, right? Like, I feel like that's going right. to be a thing, which is because this thing is big is why it's got the biggest battery life. Right. And so if they made like a new one in the in the regular line, which is this new next-gen one, I can't imagine it would necessarily have the biggest battery. I mean, it reminds me of the iPhone ten, where I had to go down in screen size. Right, right, exactly. It's also possible that they will try some of this stuff out in the Ultra and then bring it to a next-gen Apple Watch, you know, base Mm. model. Uh, either simultaneously or at the at the the next cycle. Yeah. But you're right; it's possible it'll happen a year before. Yeah. Um. I I'm not. Even Mark Gurman, who talked about this Apple Watch 10 thing, it seems like everybody's sort of like, yeah, maybe not next year, right? Like mm. this seems like th- I read this as being a kind of a corroboration of the idea that next gen Apple Watch, whatever they want to call it, may not happen until 25 at this point right like that there's the tech that they want to have in it that it's their real kind of like redesign of the concept for the first time in since the beginning um i mean the ultra is that too right but like for the for the regular watch to do a different version of it and um i don't know i mean i i think this is a fascinating story because there's the question too of is this a replacement for the apple watch series or is it another model right because we saw that apple really varied the um the iphone models that there's lots of different iphone models now would they do that with the apple watch or would it be more like a replacement for series but they'll also keep series around for a little while because they can get that one cheaper and then they've got this sort of a spread going on between the cheaper watch and then the nice watch and then the nice big watch. Mm. I don't know. They got a lot of decisions to make here, but I, I I look at a rumor like this and I think maybe this dream of theirs of re uh, invigorating the base model series is not going to happen next year. All right. So we're recording on Monday. Yep. October 16th is helpful to note again for this topic. Because there are lots and lots of conflicting rumors as to whether we will be getting new Apple products this week, namely iPads. So mm-hmm. Mark Gurman says no. 9 to 5 Mac says yes. And not only yes, that it will be on Tuesday. So tomorrow, the 17th. Huh. So Philippe Esposito at 9 to 5 Mac had a report that with the next set of iPads, this this rumor came slightly before the date rumor, but this is setting the stage for then what comes next. Uh, So Esposito says that a refresh to the iPad mini will happen of an A16 chip. We'll likely see the same thing for the base model iPad. And then at some point over the coming months, we may see a bit of a refresh to the iPad Air, a quote, from 9to5Mac. Details are vague at this point, but it suggests that Apple may be considering introducing a larger version of the iPad Air or a more expensive model with better specs. So this is something that apparently Apple is testing. But that's not necessarily expected for this week. If there is going to be an update to the iPad Air, it will be giving the uh, M2 chip to the iPad Air. 
Then Chance Miller at 9to5Mac reports on a post uh, from Weibo that suggests that changes may be made to the upcoming iPad mini to fix the jelly scrolling issue. Apparently, to fix this, they will change the screen assembly direction. So Chance says, for those unfamiliar, jelly scrolling is when half of the device's display refreshes noticeably slower than the other half. This results in a sort of wobble effect, hence the jelly scrolling name. So I have this on my iPad mini. So sometimes if I'm scrolling a list of things, uh, the display kind of down the middle looks like it's catching up with itself. Yeah, it's a little jagged kind of uh, thing. Now, I just in general in the iPad mini want a higher quality panel. Now, I'm not talking about like micro LED or OLED or anything like that. Like, I just think that the the screen on the iPad mini is not as crisp as other iPads. Like, Mm. I think it is a lower quality panel, at least it is to my eyes. So I would like to see them and hopefully this would improve that. Um, I, I am aware that for anything more serious i'll be waiting some time apparently oled panels have been rumored for 2026 for anything other than the 2024 ipad pro so that could take a while but there's more but wait there's There's more more. according to joe rossigno at mac rumors mac otakara is reporting that quote rather than an update to the ipad itself the apple pencil 3 will be launched which will come with a replaceable magnetic tip so we got rumors all over the place which is yeah, rare. Yeah, so it's German's like, mm-mm, not no going to happen next yeah. year. Mark Gurman says that Apple does not have enough stuff to bother, like to warrant doing anything. Right, right. Which is funny because, I mean, if you've got new iPads and you can sell them in the holiday quarter, I think you'd want to because those are good holiday purchases, I feel like. A new iPad mini or a, or, or a, an iPad Air, the, the, I, could, I could see the argument there. But maybe they're like, no, you know, we're okay. We're going to wait on those and do them next year, and, and we'll we'll build up stock, and we're going to be we're going to be fine with it. But then there's the other report that it is going to happen tomorrow as we're recording this, and then in comes in slides the Apple Pencil to say, not so fast. What if it's just me? Um, which is, doesn't it strike you as weird the idea that you do an Apple Pencil announcement without iPads? That doesn't... I don't understand that at all. Yeah, honestly, I think that, that that this might be a translation mm. error. Or like something's mm. going on there. Because, like, why... You're right. Why would you just have an Apple Pencil 3? Like, that's the... And you... No iPads? That seems What is weird. the pressing issue that you would release an Apple Pencil 3 now, but no iPads, right? Yeah. With replaceable magnetic tips. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Now I want to. I want to also say um, the Apple Pencil Three would work. What is is somebody saying that the that the new base model iPad would be updated? Because I that's the one that I I don't think makes any yes. sense, right? Because so nine to five Mac. Uh, this was okay. So this was slightly before, but they were sticking with I believe Chance Miller, who's in the Discord, can tell me wrong if I'm wrong. Yeah. That friend of the show. The the base model iPad would get an A16 chip in it. Yeah. Well, the question with the base model iPad is: is is it really going to stay with the uh, the old Apple Pencil? Right. Right. And would does you announce that with the new Apple Pencil? My word, I forgot the base about model that. iPad. Remember, it's got the it it's got the have adapter the charging thing on the side. Does it? It's got the adapt the weird adapter that takes oh the original word, pencil with lightning. That. And puts it in a little janky adapter so it can attach to the USB-C port, right? Mm. 
So yeah, I I feel like I I don't know. I I I'm fascinated to watch that because like why is that still a thing? Why why is that still a thing? Um, maybe they have one thing you could do from an Apple Pencil three might be to engineer something in it that up uh, if if the iPad doesn't support charging via the standard charging method maybe there's an alternate charging and pairing method that's built into the pencil three that Mm. lets them get rid of the pencil one i don't know what that would be but something like a little charge dock or something well i think it would just be better if they just put the magnetic charging thing on the ipad like that's the way to Mm. go right just put well sure magnetic induction charging if it's on the ipad mini i mean i know the ipad mini is a relatively expensive product but I think that that's got to happen at some point, and so I would hope that it would happen now. Also, my my question is if if they so it's fascinating that this may or may not happen. But uh, iPad Air and iPad Mini support the Pencil Two with the magnetic charging on the side. Um, the iPad lo, low gen, low version right had a whole different system where it moved the camera to the other orientation yep. but uh the speculation is that that prevented it from having the magnetic charging and there's all that so that's one of the things for the ipad we got to get the ipad back in our brains because this has been a year without ipad announcements at all but there's a question of like where is this whole thing going will if there is a new ipad air and a new ipad mini do the camera positions change um mm-hmm. if there's a new pencil does the charging situation change it's not a given that pencil three will charge by the same method as pencil two, right? Like they could engineer that thing out and have some other way that you charge it, which would then get rid of the issue on the, on the low end iPad as well. So it's all really fascinating, but then you throw in the idea that somebody's out there going, no, uh-uh, no, nothing. German is saying that. I, do, I wonder what the source of all this is. I hope there are new iPads just because it's fun to have new iPads and to talk about them. But I am fascinated by the idea that some people think it's going to happen and some people think it's not going to happen. But uh, th- that's for what everybody should keep in mind if some announcement does happen is like, how does the pencil charge? How does it attach? Is that different Is there if there's a new pencil? And did they move the the camera, right? Like, because that's a thing they did. Um you know, because that that iPad has the the weird thing where it's got like a kickstand back case plus a thing that you attach yeah. that does the keyboard. It's a it's a really unusual product. So, um, I guess we'll keep an eye. But I also saw a rumor that said no base level iPad, only the two that actually need that are the oldest and need the most help, which is the Mini and the Air. I think so. You get an M2 Air and a A16 Mini. What we can say at this point is everyone's saying everything. Uh, except iPad Pro, which isn't going to happen until next year. Correct. I have another report from Mako Takara, which is okay. about the iMac. They have said that the next revision of the iMac will, quote, likely be available with M2 and M2 Pro chip options, Thunderbolt 4 points, ports, Wi-Fi 6E support, and Bluetooth 5.3 support. As Joe Rossigno at MacRumors notes, this conflicts with Mark Gurman's reporting that the next iMac would feature an M3 chip. No matter what, though, it seems unlikely that these would arrive in uh, October. No one's suggesting that for the iMac. It's interesting because the iMac this fall has been discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, I It makes sense in one way. Mm-hmm. The M2 rumor is fascinating because they've not done an M2 iMac. 
And I wonder about the status of the M3. I wonder if one of the things that's going on is that the M3, you didn't even mention this, but there was also a discussion. Um, I saw a report, Was it, it might've been in Mark Gurman's report, that MacBook Pro with M3 is going to precede MacBook Air with M3 and is going to come early next year. Yep. But the MacBook Air with M3 won't come until summer, which is a wild thought, right? That there would be a that the pro chips would ship before the error with the base chip would ship. That's a wild idea too. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, but, but let's talk about the M three and the three nanometer process and whatever's going on with that. Cause we haven't seen that one scenario <laughs> for the M three getting a delay might be to do an M two iMac, right? Like that might be one scenario is look, M3 and the iMac, like, oh boy, that's going to take forever. Um, but instead an M2 iMac, which would be fine. I mean, that would be a nice update for the iMac, especially if there's a pro option. But I don't know. It's just uh, something, it feels to me like something's going on here and we can't really see it now, but I, I suspect that it's Apple rejiggering what it's going to do with M3. And I don't know whether that has to do with something going on literally with the making of the M3 chip or availability or or volume of the M3 chip. But I wonder, because for a while it sounded like the reports were M3 this fall. And now it seems like, nah, uh-uh, 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 no M3 this fall. And maybe even potentially higher-end M3 chips before the base M3 chips, which is not something that they've done in the past and makes me wonder about Again, chip yields and volumes and how much is going into the iPhone production line and the rest. I don't know. It's it's a it's a real mystery here. And will there be products announced in October at all? I think at the low end, there's none followed by just the pencil. And then the high end, you've got multiple <laughs> iPads plus a Mac of some sort, maybe an iMac. Um but uh, no event per se, but they can, no, again, they can release these things with videos and press releases and they can do them. They don't have to do them in one go. They could do iPads one week and Macs the next week. And that wouldn't be unprecedented at all. We take a left turn now and uh, visit the sheriff. Mark Gurman has said that Apple's focus for the next version of the Vision Pro, while very early on in the process, of course, is to focus on reducing the weight of the device overall. Apple is also investigating how a version 2 could have integrated prescription lenses rather than snap-in lenses. Apparently, Mm. from an operational perspective, having the many, many, many lens options available in numbers for shipping is very complicated. So they are investigating what a build-to-order process could look like. So you would submit your prescription, and they would make you a lens and install it and ship it. However, this causes more problems (laughs) with prescription changes, because then how would somebody... Would they send their device in to get the lens changed? And also device sharing becomes basically not possible at that point. Right. It's hard. I just uh, took, uh, I I got a Quest 3. Oh, okay. Um, Very exciting. Maybe we can do a Horizon Workrooms meeting sometime. Maybe we can. Maybe. I don't know. You have a better hardware than me, apparently, so. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Mm. No eye tracking, though. So, um, 
and, and I, I pre-ordered it and I, and it arrived and I was like, oh, and I realized I had to go online to Zenny Optical and order my, my lenses for it because otherwise I have to wear my glasses while I'm wearing it. And that's not as fun. I learned my lesson with the Quest 2. And I had that thought about Apple, which is, you know, Apple, typical Apple wants to kind of control the process. So they got like, oh, there's Zeiss lenses, but it sounds like what they want to do is sort of have it be all in the Apple process. Whereas what Meta has done is basically said, do you want prescription lenses? Use our partner. And it's like someone else is doing it. Someone else is making those. They've worked with a partner. Um, and this is one of those cases where maybe, I mean, given the volumes, I mean, who knows, right? Like if they're intending for this to be a high volume product, eventually they're going to have to deal with this. Do they want to control the whole thing? Do they want to use a partner? It's certainly nicer to just... If I could have put in my prescription and placed my order with Meta right up front and gotten shipped with the lenses, that would have been better, Better, even if they were snap-in lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure... I'm not sure why this is better than just allowing you to order the lenses and have them pre-snapped in or included in the box uh, rather than having it be like a part that you have to replace. That seems complicated, but it's an operations issue. Uh, you know, this is... It's just going to be, it's fascinating, right? Like how does, Apple has a way of doing things and then a product like this challenges some of those preconceptions, I think. And to make a future cheaper version, Mark Gurman is saying in the 1500 to 2000 range, this is separate from version two of the Vision Pro. This is to make the Vision product. Apple uh, would look to try and remove the external display and reduce the overall sensors and cameras on the system as a possibility. A quote from Mark Gurman, Apple is prioritizing the development of a cheaper model, even at the expense of other initiatives like the AR glasses project, which, I mean, obviously, right? But Yeah, he had another line in there about the AR glasses project, which is basically like the AR glasses project, which doesn't have things that will exist anytime soon, right? Like it's just not going to happen. Of course you would prioritize this. Let's, of course you would. Now, the big change here, right, is that we had an earlier report a few months ago where they were talking about, like, what are the fundamentals of Vision Pro that we wouldn't change? And one of them was the external display. We're like, well, no, no, no. That's part of the whole value of the Vision Pro. We got we got to keep that. And all of us at the time were like, really? That's got to be real expensive for something that uh, is not necessary for the user and is more part of your story about how wonderful this product is. And... Based on this report, it sounds like maybe they caved on that. Like whoever was like insisting on that got, uh, was told, no, we have to ship a cheaper version. If we're ever going to ship this thing in volume, you're going to have to give up your precious external display. And Mike, it makes me wonder if the external display is going to be a one and done for the vision. I don't know. Here's the thing. My, my feeling on this is, um, like I'm seeing a lot of people online being like, "Oh, so it wasn't core to the product." I don't think it. I think it's too soon for people to like claim that this was a bad part of the device. Like I feel like mm-hmm. a, a lot of people, you know, because we were talking about like, "Oh, you know, it seems like it's core to the product," and like from everything Apple was saying, it feels core to the product, right? Like everything they're sure, showing, philosophically. everything they're yeah. saying, this seems like an important part of the overall proposition for them. So like, I just think it's too soon one way or another to talk about like whether this thing is important or not because no one's even seen it. Well, we don't, we, it's true, we don't know. What, what this does sound like though is that in the battle between 
philosophically, you've got to have the ability to see somebody using this product and see the, see into them, and therefore you need to have a display on the outside. Uh, that versus um, we got to get the price down, right? We got to make a model that doesn't cost thirty five hundred dollars. How and going to the product manager basically and saying, how are you going to make a fifteen hundred dollar headset, which for the record is very expensive still. Their cheap headset, which is going to be maybe half the price of the Vision Pro, is still very expensive. Okay. And you look at that display on the outside and you're like, well, I mean, I can think of one thing that will drop the price of building this thing by hundreds of dollars. And it's that display. So, you know, you make the choice and you're right. I don't think it means aha, I guess it wasn't core to the product because it probably feels like an enormous sacrifice. And, you know, it's Apple. Maybe I'm sure it would be replaced by a less expensive presence awareness indicator, right? Something that indicates that they can see out so that you know that they can see out, even if it's not a display. It's a, you know, a light or I don't know what, something else. But, um, what it does say is that Apple's serious about getting that price down if they're going to do a cheaper product. Like, because um, our initial reaction was in part, how do you make a cheaper product and keep that external display? It seems like one of the easiest decisions to cut it because it doesn't affect the user experience, right? It affects the experience of the people around the user, but it doesn't affect the user experience. So it does sound like there's a shift here a little bit. We'll see. Right, because you're presumably if you're if you're building a, a Vision One, you are looking at every single decision. Um, I was thinking about this actually as I got the as I got the Quest Three out. Is like okay, Quest Three versus Quest Pro. Um, you know what are the what are the nice features of the Quest Pro that they're like hmm, hmm no let's make it worse. <laughs> Right. And Apple is bad at that. I mean, Apple struggles with that. That's, I think, one of the reasons Apple is so successful with their use last year's product kind of approach is that Apple's better at at giving you last year's cutting edge product than they are at giving you a middling product. Right. They don't want to design a middling product. They want to design a really good product. But for Vision Pro or for Vision OS to have a a life, it it needs to get cheaper. So imagine that con- that conversation of we chose this really nice woven material for the headband. You're like, guys. Oh, we got it's got to be plastic right like it just has to be i'm sorry because it costs so much money and we need to get the cost of this thing down again i've said this before to be a fly on the wall for those discussions right how do we how do we compromise our uh, product in order to make it affordable is a very i think very hard thing for apple to do but with the cost of vision pro if they want to ship this in volume, they really have to do that. So, uh, well, you know, we'll we'll keep an eye on it, Mike. We most certainly right? will. Or huh? At least one, but probably two eyes. Probably two. Our eyesight, in fact. We'll keep it in focus, assuming we have the right lenses. This episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. You know that feeling when you finally find the thing that you've been searching for online, that exact piece of hardware you were looking for, or the one, you know, maybe the one that all those great reviews is telling you about, and you found those reviews, you found the product, you have it, it's available in your country, you can get it on next day delivery, you're a happy person. So why is it that you can get the most random niche thing from around the world in two days, but if you want to see a good doctor, 
It can take forever to get an appointment. Not to mention, how do you actually know if they're a good doctor? Thankfully, there's ZocDoc, a place to find and book great doctors who actually have amazing reviews, many of appointments available within 24 hours. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about appointments with doctors with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists available to you. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance that are located near you and treat almost any condition you're searching for. These doctors have verified reviews from actual real patients, not bots. The average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 48 hours. That's it. You can even get same-day appointments. Once you find the doctor you want, you can book them immediately with just a few taps in an app. No more waiting awkwardly on hold of a receptionist. This is all the ideal world. Book in an app, see them the next day, perfect. I hate having to try and call a doctor's surgery on the phone and then they'll be like, oh yeah, they can see you in three weeks from now. Well, the thing that I want to talk to them about might not even be a problem in three weeks from now. I want to speak to a doctor now. That's why ZocDoc is awesome. Just go to ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That is ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM. ZocDoc.com slash Upgrade FM. Our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So, some time ago, before the hubbub of the new iPhone, before the iPhone event, mm. even, Jason, you wrote a post about your current feelings of trying to use the iPad as your only computer when traveling. And I've had this in my show notes for ages. And finally, we're going to talk about it today. It is okay. you giving up the iPad only travel dream i would like to read a quote from your article as a as a lead-in for this so you say for many years i've tried very hard to travel with only an ipad why bring two devices and i'm not leaving my ipad at home since the arrival of apple silicon however i've gone back to traveling with both an ipad and a macbook air so what were you doing when you were bringing the ipad how did you make that work why has it changed again well, it's funny because I wrote this the last time I was visiting my mom in Phoenix, and now I'm about to go back there again, and mm-hmm. it's the same thing. I'll bring the iPad and the MacBook Air. Well, listeners to this show may remember or may not. I also wrote about it on Six Colors. I tried to just travel with the iPad Pro. Um, the challenge for me is um, a lot of it is podcasting related. I do podcasts every week, and the iPad OS functionality just isn't there to do podcasting um so you end up having to work around it the sound system is not particularly sophisticated access to it by apps is not particularly powerful and so i ended up doing a bunch of things that were um hacks on the podcasting part of my life so i brought uh, an external recording device right uh and wired it in so that i could be on the ipad talking on skype but also recording to an external recording device I, which works, but then I don't get the other person's recording, which means that there's a backup that's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, like I tried, uh, in the later days, I tried when we were using Zoom to use Zoom's recording feature, but Zoom's recording feature, if you look at their documentation, there's a little asterisk that says none of this works on the iPad or iPhone, <laughs> right? Like they just didn't build in, which is too bad because they could build it to work because they're literally running as the only app. They could record your local audio on your microphone and they don't do it. Um, and so I I had all these different things. I drew a little chart of like what gets connected to what in order mm-hmm. for it to work. And 
I ended up when I, especially when I got the first Apple Silicon MacBook Air, I had this thought, which is like, I, I was taking a trip. I don't even remember where. And I thought, am I going to go through all that trouble or am I just going to bring the MacBook Air 2 because it's lighter? And it led to a situation where back in August when I wrote this this post, I had just been on a trip to Colorado with Lauren's family and I had to do one podcast while I was there. And I brought the MacBook Air. I took it out one time, which was to do that one podcast. And then I put it away again. And I thought, well, I mean, I had to carry this thing around. That's true. But I really only brought it for the one podcast. And, uh, but the truth is, though, it's not quite that simple because the other part of this is the rest of my job. And while I could do a lot of the rest of my job with the iPad, there, in certain circumstances, there was extra effort, right? Like there's, I don't sit at an iPad all day. I sit on a Mac. So I build up work structures based on being on a Mac and then they're gone on the iPad. Now I can build up new structures. So like on that trip to Colorado, I had to do the charts for the Apple results. I use the MacBook Air for that too. So I opened it twice on that trip actually. And the reason I did use the MacBook Air is not that I couldn't have done it on the iPad because I could have, I built a shortcut that would do it on the iPad but that it would be a much slower process. And since I had the MacBook Air, I I could just use my more streamlined macOS process. Um, so it just, the story was not, and it was, you know, it got on Hacker News and, and stuff. Um, what the story wasn't is, I hate the iPad and I'm not using it anymore. I love the iPad. I use it most of the time, even when I'm traveling. But I did have that moment where I thought, I am a happier traveler and it's not that much extra space in my bag to just bring the MacBook Air 2 and if I've got it, use it for what it was intended and stop because of the fundamental limitations of iOS or iPadOS that Apple is just not addressing. I I have given up trying to make the iPad do stuff that it is not, that its maker doesn't want me to do with it if that makes sense. That that sort of is where I ended up is I'm no longer going to be kind of like a daredevil, like trying to jump a canyon on an iPad and like, ah, it must be done because it can be done and we must see if it can be done. And I'm, I'm over that. Like I would love for the iPad to progress to the point where I could not bring the MacBook Air with me and be fine, but it it's not there. And I'm kind of tired of fighting it because Apple's not, you know, Apple's not enabling this stuff. So why should I beat my head against this brick wall? Why not just bring the MacBook Air, which is perfectly suited for some of these tasks? Yeah, you were, I want to, I want to read again from the article because you're, you're kind of getting close to the thing that you were talking about. And I want to talk about it uh, based on what you said. So this is a longer quote. So bear with me a second. The beauty of the Mac as a platform is that Apple doesn't have to think of every use case and doesn't have to build out every single esoteric detail in order to enable new features. On the iPad, advancement doesn't work like that. Instead, it's decided in various meetings inside Apple where specific features will get prioritized or deprioritized for the next operating system cycle. Once every year or two, we will hear about some legitimately exciting new features that will extend the usability of the platform, and that will basically be it. The waiting begins again. Apple will determine what I can do with my iPad and when that changes. I'm sure they'll let me know. Until then, all any of us can do is wait. So, like, 
Of course, there are like ex- it doesn't work exactly this way, right? But which I I know you're not saying, but like you know, p- people can make things for the Mac that are outside of the App Store and do stuff, right? And so you can find some truly weird and wonderful things on the Mac right. because the platform will allow for it. Right to a wide extent, Apple with the Mac, Apple you can make things for the Mac that Apple has never intended the Mac to do. Yeah. And that go way beyond what Apple would ever have have thought of, and uh, it's fine. And yeah, I feel like on the like iPad, that. Apple has to have meetings where they discuss whether they will allow a thing to yeah. be on the iPad, and then you, that gets added, and we go yay. But like that's it. Like it's a it's a a limited space of possibility that is incrementally expanded by Apple. Whereas the Mac, while not technically a completely wide open space, is pretty much a wide open space right like you could do almost anything on the mac and apple will you know is not standing in your way it's just it's it's just providing a platform and maybe they'll clamp down on some stuff but it's 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 starting open and then and then some restrictions are placed on it whereas the ipad is a a closed set that gradually expands and you mean not even just what the platform can do on the ipad even if you can do something weird and wonderful, will it get through app review? Well, yeah, I mean that that's you always know? been one of the arguments about the about the app store only model. Yeah. Is it has that chilling effect too, which is some wild ideas that might even be approved are never done because you would have to build it and there's no pre-approval process. You'd have to build it and then is it ever going to get approved? And then you're left with like a jailbreak and all that. I I don't know. I mean, I'm at the point now where I think that it's more likely that at some point Apple will allow you to run a virtualized version of Mac OS on an iPad than that Apple will allow something like Audio Hijack to run an iPad OS. I actually think that the former is more likely. Yeah. That you've got an M1 or an M2 iPad. It's fully capable of this stuff. If you attach a keyboard, the magic keyboard, and you uh, you click on the virtual Mac thing, and it just runs Mac OS Sonoma, and you do that for a while, and then you leave it, and it shuts itself off. Like that? Why not? First off, why not? You could do that. And second, you know, does that solve your problem? Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But like the actual iPad OS. And and it's not like it's bad. It's just that Apple's got its priorities with it and you can't extend beyond it. Not really. And that's just that's just where it is. And and we all were pushing, I think, psychologically, why people like me and Federico and uh and David Sparks and all sorts of other people were pushing the iPad past its limits in that period. It's two things. One is the Mac was sort of a drag. It was a bad time for the Mac. And the iPad was legitimately exciting and new. And and we've talked about this in another context where it feels like there was a period where Apple thought the iPad was the future and that the Mac was a legacy product that was going to go off and sort of like just exist. And so those of us who felt like that was where it was going were embracing this new exciting thing that was the future because we thought as we pushed forward, we were learning what everyone else would learn in a few years as the pro- as the platform expanded, right? We were out there on the edge. And this is a thing with tech writers that happens, right? You see things like I saw, I saw an ad the other day about um, that was making fun of the fact that people have to know that like all caps in a 
in a social media post is like you're yelling. And I thought, I learned that lesson in 1985, right? Uh, that's an extreme example, but like being on the cutting edge of tech, one of the things you're doing is coming back and reporting like, this is how it's gonna be for you in two or three years. So with the iPad, that's what we all thought we were doing. And I don't know if we misread it or if Apple swerved, I think Apple swerved. But regardless, all of us look up after a while and say, you know what, this platform isn't the future in the way we thought. And Apple is not moving it forward at the pace that we thought they would. And the Mac, meanwhile, has become reinvigorated. And Apple Silicon has really sort of like transformed how awesome the Mac is and is moving it forward. And the laptops are better and they're more fun to use and all of those things. And that's when we all step off to some degree and sort of say, okay, like, and, and that, and that this piece was me not saying that iPad sucks because it doesn't. Again, it is me saying, I am not interested in being a trailblazer and trying to force it to do things it can't do because I no longer have faith that it will ever be able to do them. And there's another tool that's better for this and it's the Mac and I can stick, my backpack is old and it was built for a much larger universe of laptops than currently exist. And as a result, the laptop case in my backpack fits a MacBook Air and an iPad Pro just fine. I can put them both in there. And so that's what I do now. For me, it was really the thing that David Sparks said. I think it was in like the 2021 or 2022 uh, report card where he was saying that like I've stopped trying to make the iPad be something it isn't. Like it was a very much a crystallizing thing for me because the combination of my Apple Silicon MacBook Air and my iPad Mini just changed my relationship to the iPad because it drew a much stronger line for me between what these products are for when like a Mac could be as portable as my iPad Pro changed things a lot, right? Because the mm -hmm. Apple Silicon laptops give me the portability along with the battery life and the power. Yep. And then the iPad Mini gave me enough of an iPad experience in a truly tiny size, which I found very good for me at home, but it helped to then make me realize what the iPad for me is best at, which is content, video, yeah. social media, reading, and dealing with light, very light work. Like That for me was just the best combination. And like what this conversation isn't is like the iPad sucks. No, the iPad is awesome. It's the computer I use most at home. But it's not what I get work done on anymore. Like I, I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. open spreadsheets on an iPad anymore, like I used to for years. Right? I don't do my show prep on an iPad anymore, like I used to for years. I don't do all right. my email on an iPad. Like I just do that on my Mac now, and I and I leave my iPad for the things that it is best at. Right. I'm fascinated. So when I was in um, Memphis, I got to see you and Stephen with iPad Minis. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I have something that we're going to talk about in a, in a minute. Um, I have spent the last couple of years sort of dabbling with these weird Android-based e-ink devices. We'll be talking about that in Books. after the break. After the break, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm See, I'm forward promoting here. This is how it works. Tune into Upgrade to hear the, the hosts explain what they're doing while they're doing it. But... Um, and that's the idea there is giving me iPad like multitasking where I can choose apps, but in a Kindle kind of context with e-ink and not like I'm not watching videos and stuff like that. 
And I really like e-ink, as is obvious because I keep writing about it. I really like e-ink as a display technology. I think it gets me in, I think it makes my brain work differently. I think it allows me to focus on the words on the page in a way that I don't if I have notifications on my iPad and all of those things. And like, I can always swipe to some app that I know is there. And it's like, no, I'm just using this device. That said, I look at the iPad mini that you guys are using and I think, you know, and I've tried it. Every time an iPad mini comes out, I get a review unit. I try it out. The latest iPad mini is really great. Um, and I think about like, could I do this instead? And I could, I, I prefer not to, but I could. It's it's all, it's trying to scratch that same edge. And yes, the iPad is really good at that. I think to, to your larger point, um, it it's really good at that. You were able to sort of take the pro out of the equation because you now are just using the iPad mini for what it's really great at. I still use my iPad for more stuff, but I, but I feel like I am also constantly reevaluating that part of it, which is, am I willing to like get an iPad mini instead? What does that mean? It probably means that I'm going to either try to do some work on the iPad mini, which is probably not great, but it's, it's not possible. not a great experience to really do work or, on the iPad mini. But it means then that I'm using my MacBook Air to do that. And do I want to do that? And I'm very happy to very rarely use my MacBook Air sitting on my couch or in bed, right? Like I, I don't, re- I don't, I only do that when I absolutely must do it. I, I and I like that when I'm not traveling. Um, but, but I think about it, right? I, I definitely do think about it. I mean, it was also for me as a way to try and stop myself from doing like work at home as well. Right. So like, well, that's now, yes. Now I do have to grab my laptop to do something work related. That's serious. So you, you built know? a barrier. So I built a barrier. Yeah. I mean, on all the work apps are on my iPad, the same way as they're on my iPhone, but it's more like checking in on stuff as opposed to like getting active in a thing, you know, in, the, in those devices. But right. I'm right. And anyway. for me, the barrier has been more, yeah, I could open my MacBook Air, but the barrier has often been like, if I'm going to do that, I might as well just come out into the office and turn on the computer and use it out here. And that's enough of a barrier that sometimes it prevents me from, you know, working when I'm not supposed to be working. And that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and having a MacBook Air attached to a studio display like in my house in another room is a interesting, like it's a lower barrier. So that's kind of interesting of like, do I just pop into the, the back room where the MacBook Air is attached to a keyboard and a monitor and like wake it up and go on a computer and then and then go back to sleep? I don't know. Um, but But yeah, the iPad, to wrap this up, like the iPad... I only wrote this article and, and and I think it came across given the hacker news and stuff like that. Like it was like, Oh, trying to get attention. It was like, literally it was Friday morning. I was at my mom's house. I was flying back that night. And I thought, I thought I'm going to sit down and do some work. What am I going to write about? And I had just been thinking in the shower <laughs> about the fact that I brought these two computers and was using them. And, and once I had my MacBook air, I did my work on the MacBook air instead of on the iPad pro because I, or because I had it. I had it, so why not use it to do work that I would normally do on the Mac? And I thought, well, I'll just write that up. And that, that was literally my my point in doing it. It's just noticing that a thing about myself that I hadn't really recognized, or I, I recognized, but I hadn't thought through and written about, which is that 
that's where the iPad has shifted for me is I, I'm not, I'm no longer willing to be an iPad astronaut, right. And push the boundaries and go out there where no one has gone before and say like, did you know this thing? Like, like a daredevil. Like I said before, I, it, it, because it's there, I have to do it. And I feel like lots of us are at that point where it's sort of like, I like the iPad, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to make it into what it's not. Um, because Apple seems to have an idea of what it's not. And even if I wish it was that thing, Apple says it's not. So it's not. And that's okay. This episode is brought to you by Delete Me. Everybody wants to keep their personal information personal, their private information private, right? That's why it can be uncomfortable to think about the fact that data brokers can be out there who might make a, who do in fact make a business selling people's data especially if they're selling your data the good news is you do have the right to stay private and protect your privacy all you have all you have to do simple is contact all of the potential data brokers out there in the world that might have your information to check that you're not on their system and then submit requests to be removed if you are now, I don't know about you, but I don't have the time to hunt down all the various data brokers that might exist in the world that may or may not be selling my personal information. Well, that is where Delete Me comes in because they do it all for you. Delete Me helps you purge personal information that has been captured by data brokers like your name, address, age, phone numbers, email addresses, and more. And it does this by removing them from the source. You submit the information that you'd like them to search for, and they'll do the rest. My personal information is important to me. I like an element of privacy online, even though I'm a public person online. I feel like this is the same for all of us these days. You want to be open with the world with the things you want to be open about, but you also want to keep your personal information private and for you. I've gone through and signed up for Delete Me, and I found this process to be very simple. They make it very clear what they're asking you for and why they want it. Um, and you can just put in as much as you want. Like I was able to put in all the information that I wanted to check for, the information that I wasn't interested in having them search for. I just didn't provide it. And then they go out there into the internet and find out who has that information. And then they're going to help me get rid of it, which I'm excited about. You can now get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash upgrade20 and use the promo code upgrade 20. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash upgrade20 and enter the promo code upgrade20 at checkout. That is J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash upgrade20 with the promo code upgrade20 for 20% off. A thanks to Delete Me for their support of this show and Relay FM. The books, books, Books. Books. B-O-O-X. Books. Palma. Like the palm of your hand with an A on the end. Yeah. What on earth, Jason, is the Books Palma? I want to turn this around and say, Mike, I showed this to you in Memphis. What Mm. was your reaction when I showed this thing to you? Because I remember it being something like, (laughs) what is that? That was my reaction. (laughs) I could not believe this thing that you were showing me, which was an e-ink phone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so for for a couple of years now, this company, this Chinese company, uh, Books, has been sending me these uh, Android-based e-readers because I really, like I said in the last segment, I really like the idea that 
uh, could I expand? Like what frustrates me about the Kindle and the Kobo is that I, I, they are dedicated readers. And yet I end up reading all morning on my iPad when I'm waking up and having my tea mm. and, and eating my breakfast, I'm reading on my iPad and I like my iPad, but like I have this whole other device for reading. Why am I not reading on that? And the answer is because the Kindle and the Kobo, they don't run apps. They only run Kobo has pocket. So that's something you can read articles on the Kobo, but like they don't run apps. So can I read my RSS feeds on a Kindle or a Kobo? I cannot. Can I read newspapers that, or magazines that have websites? Uh, there is an experimental web browser, still experimental, but like it's terrible and not e-ink optimized and forget it. But they have like, there are apps for those and I enjoy using those apps on my iPad. So if you built a, a Kindle, out of Android, it would have apps on it. And this company has been trying this. The problem is that every Android app, there's two problems, big problems. One is every Android app is made for a phone screen with high refresh rate and color. Mm -hmm. E-Ink, there is color E-Ink now, and they they do have a product that is color E-Ink. And color E-Ink is surprisingly better than it. it it's, it's not bad. Don't You can't watch video on it, but it's actually not bad. Um, and the refresh rates are getting better for e-ink, but the fact is e-ink doesn't do color 60 frames a second, let alone 120, right? It yeah. just doesn't do it. Problem number two, by the way, is all of these are Kindle sized. So they're all tablet sized in terms of Android. And and you're not going to believe this. You may not have heard this before, Mike, but Android tablet apps suck. No way. They're bad. There are some that are okay, but like, uh, they're not very good. <laughs> They're just not very good. Uh, they do weird things when they're confronted with a larger screen because mm -hmm. most Android users by far, 99%. I mean, like the percentage of iPhone to iPad, like it's mostly iPhones, but like the percentage of Android phones to Android tablets, like it might as well be 100%. Right. Really. So when things get big, things get weird on, on Android. So I... uh I, I get these, this company is so eager. They're like, yeah, we'll send you, we, we got a new one. I wrote the, they sent me the first one and I was like, I'll try it. Sure. And I wrote it and I basically was like, you know what? This hardware is pretty good, but the software is a mess and it, and it doesn't work very well. And you know, the apps aren't optimized for e-ink. So they smudge or they're like all grayscale and weird and, and the experience is bad and you can't, you turn a page and other than the apps that are included, that nothing happens. And so you end up having to do like a finger scroll on e-ink, which is real bad, right? Because it's just slow bit slow refresh rate and smudging as it goes um it, it's 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 bad and i wrote about it and i thought well i'm never hearing from those guys again and i actually said here's the link to the story and let me know you know i'll send back your product and you know there you go and instead they're like great thanks we'll send you more <laughs> I'm like okay <laughs> they're like up for this it. is just what we but wanted the, <laughs> but the truth is I mean, they're looking for coverage and it wasn't the most positive coverage, but it gets their name out there. And the truth is they have improved it a lot. They have done a lot of things to Android to try and make it so that you can like tap and hold on an app and tap on optimize. And it it is trying to hack that app to be more contrast and to use volume buttons as page up, page down buttons mm. whenever possible. And that gets you something that more is more appropriate for an e-ink reader. So they've been improving it as they go. Their their tablet that does color had pretty good software. The color was 
weird, but okay. But it was heavy and big and I didn't really like it because of that. And I I was thinking, how am I going to write about this one? And all of a sudden they're like, we'd like to send you this thing. And it's a phone with an e-ink screen. And it's not a phone. It doesn't have cellular capability, but otherwise it's a phone with an e-ink screen. It's got a side button on one side and it's got volume up and down and then another button, a power button on the other side. It's got a camera in the back, which is the most, they they have an app called the Document Scanner, but it's very clear they're using an Android phone reference platform here, right? And then putting an e-ink screen on it. So they've collected all the, like, would they have chosen to put a camera on it? Like, maybe, but it's really there because they inherited a camera from whatever phone platform they're using as the basis of this thing. And so they've got document scanner app, which is just the camera app. Uh, it does by default, it scans it into like a PDF or something like that. But you know, I took a picture of you with it. Was it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And and it shows you as a, you know, a dithered <laughs> black and white uh, Maniac, mic. Honestly. Uh, yeah. Photo. So, so it's a, you know, it's, it's weird because it is a phone, like the headline says, it's a phone-shaped e-reader. It's a 6.13 diagonal uh, e-ink screen running Android 11. And I took it with me on my trip to Memphis because I wanted to be like, and I took my Kobo too. And I was like, well, we'll see how it goes. And I never used my Kobo the entire trip, even sitting in the Salt Lake City airport for 10 hours or whatever. I, I just used the books Palma. I should also mention that the early books um, tablets, their energy settings were all messed up too. So they would lose battery life. Like they would hemorrhage it. Whereas this thing, I put it in airplane mode, turned off the Wi-Fi, and it would last, you know, days it, off it would last weeks basically so um it it just was much better and i used it the whole time and i never got frustrated some apps are better than others i found a really good epub reading app called moon plus on android that i used that was pretty good it turns out the kindle app on android is pretty good and has all the settings. I couldn't see them all at first, but I, I, because of the way the black and white screen works, like I didn't know that I could scroll down and that there were even more settings in each of the settings windows, but it actually works pretty well. The Kobo app isn't very good on Android. The Libby app for library books is not that great on Android either, but the Kindle app is pretty good. And I, I found an RSS app that's okay. Um, and I'm sure if I looked harder, I would find more. And then of course, every like new, like uh, news and, a company that's got an app, um, like the athletic has an app on Android and it's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, and so I could probably replicate my morning reading experience on the books Palma, uh, pretty well. And it would just be using a thing that's shaped like a phone rather than shaped like a Kindle. Well, would you, or have you like you could, but would you, I think bottom line is that I don't like, I, I don't like it ergonomically. Okay. Um, I I have really come to appreciate the Kindle and the Kobo having a, you know, whatever it is, six or seven inch diagonal screen, and it's really thin, and it's got one edge that I can hold on to, and it's got page turn buttons on it, and I can just sit there and go click, 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 and it's really convenient. Holding this thing, I end up holding it in my left hand. And I have to have my fingers wrapped around so that they're on the page turn button. And every page turn is like I'm squeezing the phone because I got to squeeze that button. Right, right. Uh, or I could tap, but it would be then it's a two handed experience, which I don't want. And I don't think that er, that ergonomic configuration doesn't work for me. It might work for other people. The advantage of it, and I, I've talked to a couple of people who've used it now, um, advantage of it is a real small, like it fits in a pocket 
in a way that a Kindle or a Kobo doesn't. And and gives you that kind of experience of a really pleasant kind of e-ink experience um, without, you know, that you can take with you. Um, also, you had to take your phone because it's not a phone, but you could you could do it that way. It's come a long way. Um, and, and for the most part, right, there's the power button, there's the up and down, which are the page turn buttons. And the button on the other side, I have set to refresh the e-ink screen because every now and then you get an android app and it's and it's drawing things or it's scrolling or whatever and everything gets smudgy and the way that this works on modern e-ink devices is every fifth page turn or whatever it does the full-on sort of like flash refresh of the screen and uh books software tries to do that but some apps misbehave and you just press the button on the side and it goes bloop, and then it then it looks good again so i i found myself really liking this device mike honestly i found myself liking it i mean it is so not for everyone but i think if you're somebody who's either comfortable with android or willing to experiment with android like it comes the first the first device they sent me didn't even work with google play you had to like do this whole process it felt like you were essentially violating the terms of google's licensing agreement in order to enable google play right i think i think so now it's Play Store is right on there. Very easy to do. Like it's all above board. It actually works really well. Um, so it's come a long way and it's not perfect. I really wish a device like this, and maybe books is pushing it this way. I really wish devices like this were popular enough that the, that the good Android software, the best Android software for these devices supported it better. Because if you could get a core set of, of apps to support it well, and maybe maybe that's on books to try to find um, partners who have a like a freemium model where you could put the free version on there and then uh, everyone would use it and say, this is great. And then they would pay an upgrade price or something, or maybe they could bundle. I don't know what the economics are that are right. But like if you could get a really good RSS reader and put it on there and and they, they include an EPUB reader that's not very good, but there are other EPUB readers that are very good you can get this thing to be pretty cool. I think the question that I have left is if they applied all of this technology to a Kindle shaped device, would it be good enough? Or would the fact that it's now a tablet kind of make all the software worse? I don't know the answer to that question, but I really, I like that this product exists. And I think that it's, it's what $280. It's not cheap, but I think that there's a, uh, uh, an audience for a product like this, really, who really loves e-ink and a reader and is going to be comfortable uh, enough using Android. This is very, it's a very interesting product in general. And it was super funny. Like I was listening to uh, App Stories today and John Voorhees bought one of the tablet ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he and I had a text chain this weekend yeah. about that. I was like, what? You, you got the huge yeah. tablet. And are using it with a keyboard. I'm like, wow. But just okay. the, basically, the, the core idea, irrespective of the form factor that you go for, of mm-hmm. Android device with e-ink is really cool. And I think it's one of the great things in general about Android, right? That like, right. this is a device that could not exist without Android because there'd be no point in doing it. Right. Right, especially the phone form, the phone one. And I know that yeah. Remarkable have made a decent business for themselves, but they've been around for a really long time now. But the idea of having the ability to get, you know, like 
John was having Obsidian or you would have that athletic app or whatever, right? You could put any right. app that you want on it and they're going to work. They're going to work. Like I know when I was, when you were showing me the device, some apps were better than others, but also yeah. books build in a bunch of really smart features into the, into the operating system to try and account for some of that stuff. Like mm-hmm. you can end up with something really interesting that maybe if you, you know, have a commute every day and you're holding your phone and reading every day, maybe it'd be nicer to pick up this $280, which I think feels like a pretty decent price for something like this. Um, device to just read your articles on an e-ink screen is I think yeah. that's kind of cool. I yeah. liked it a if lot. If you like the if you like the e-ink um, feel, which is really nice because it's reflective and it is it does have a it's not a backlight, it's a side light. That's what they all do now is they have LEDs around the edges that light it up. But the idea is that like also the sun hits it and the lights in your room hit it and reflect back, and so it feels like paper in a way that our glowing. Our glowing screens are glowing screens. This is not a glowing screen. Mm. And and it is, it just feels different. It feels more like paper. Um, I, I agree. This is one of the great things about having something like Android out there because not only is it an operating system they can use and they can pull reference hardware platforms off, obviously, like they've done here with a camera. And then there's software. There's a software library that exists for it. And it's, you know, not, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of crap on the Android on on the Play Store, but there are also good apps, right? And 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 you can find them uh, in most categories. There's somebody like uh, like Moon Plus, somebody who's making a living building a good app, and they know that they're getting because they have a pro version, they, you know, that they want you to pay for it. Like they're mm-hmm. getting a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, but it's still a pretty big audience of people who want to read eBooks on Android, and and they can make a business at it, which is great because that app is good. So. I'm all I'm I'm happy about it. Um, like I said, I, I'm troubled by the fact that the tab tablet stuff is just not an emphasis on Android, and therefore, um, I was saying this to John because John's using the big boy, right? Like I said, Android tablet apps aren't very good, and he's like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not. You can find the you can find good ones, but it's harder to do that. John's really seeming to to get a good just a good use out of just having a web browser, like a full web browser. web browser. And and there is there is an e-ink browser too, but there's like browsers that are are better in e-ink, which is nice. Um, that and what does better in e-ink mean? It basically means things like reducing the contrast so that you don't have a lot of like a gray background when it's better with a white background, and doing paging instead of scrolling, like so that you say you you hit the space bar or you tap the the volume bar and it draws the next page instead of doing an animation that slides it all up because that slide messes up the e-ink screen and it's not meant to work like that to be animated in that way um and so there are browsers that are that do that and then he and he's got obsidian running and that runs fine Mm -hmm. and i think that unlocked a lot for him was that he can run obsidian and he can run uh, a browser and that's sort of all he needs on that device it's an interesting idea so you know i i I continue to say, <laughs> especially Amazon, which has an Android-based infrastructure for other products, and has an app store. I really am disappointed that after all this time, Amazon hasn't, for example, made a partnership with certain app developers on Android and made those apps available. I don't even know if the Kindle runs Android, but they could do it, right? They could just build a Kindle that runs Android underneath that you wouldn't see it. And then what I'm saying is 
Amazon could make the Kindle run a select number of apps and they choose not to. And I can see the, I can see the advantage of saying, no, Kindle is for books. Okay. I can see it, but like, I would love it if I could do RSS and a select number of news sources on my Kindle. I would love that. That would make it a much more valuable device to me because it's a beautiful ink screen and it, presumably the software would be tweaked to actually work right on Kindle. Wouldn't that be something? Mm-hmm. But that ain't happening. So instead, this is what we're left with is Android devices and a company that's trying to build sort of like software that adapts existing Android apps to be better on e-ink. And for all I know, they're also probably talking in the background to some of the apps that that people are using on these devices and saying, can you do this thing so that our so it works better on our device? That's probably also going on. But like, yeah, it's just it's fun to take us take a spin in this. Um in the end, I don't know. I in the end, if they made something that was the size of a Kindle or a Kobo that did otherwise software felt exactly like the the books Palma, I would definitely try it out. Uh the current readers that are that size are using an older version of the software that doesn't work as well. One of the challenges there is also getting a uh, a hardware page turn button, which is harder um, because lots of tablets don't have physical buttons for that. And I really want physical buttons for that. And the advantage of the Palm is it's a phone. <laughs> and so <laughs> not a phone, but you know, it's shaped like a phone, which means it has volume up and down buttons, which are page turn buttons, which is really great. I don't know. It's a, uh, it's, I loved showing it to you because it's so weird, right? It's like that's, that's one thing. of the best things about it yeah. is you look at it and you're like, what is it? Yeah, that's what it is. This episode is brought to you by Notion. There are many AI tools out there that can be fun to play around with, but when it comes to something that you actually want to plug into your workflow and use regularly, Notion AI is the one that will really help you save time in your day-to-day work. You can leverage the power of AI right inside of Notion across all of your notes and documents without the need to jump between your work and a separate AI-powered tool. Notion AI is designed to help you with your work right in the place where you're doing your work. Notion AI helps you to automate the tedious tasks like summarizing meeting notes or finding next steps. You're free to do the deep work you're best at and leave the rest to Notion AI. Whatever you're working on, Notion AI lets you skip to the good part, save time, and write faster by letting Notion AI handle the brainstorm and first draft to turn your messy notes into something more polished. You just tell Notion AI what you want to do. The more details, the better. Or start a prompt and go from there. Have it write a post for you, make an outline, brainstorm some ideas, or summarize a bunch of documents. You can use Notion AI to improve writing, summarize pages, find action items, translate into other languages, and more. Simply select the text, click Ask AI, and increase your productivity like never before. Over the last few months, I've been going pretty heavy into Notion with Cortex brand stuff. So we're keeping it as like our knowledge base and project planning and all this kind of stuff. Like this is where we're keeping all of this and collaborating on it as a team. And one of the, I've been using Notion AI with our meeting notes. So me and Gray will have a meeting every month and we'll talk through the things that we're working on. And I will write make notes about that, you know, make notes about the whole meeting. But then what I want at the end is some action items. And so what I've been doing is firing up our Notion AI and saying, can you make give me the action items for this meeting? And it goes through and does it. And it is 
honestly unbelievable <laughs> how good a job it does at taking the notes that I'm writing and making a bunch of action items at the end of the meeting that I can then use to go over in the future and tick off what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. It really is incredible. I've, I've been blown away by it. I think these AI tools are most helpful when they're working on the things that we're already working on. It's kind of like it's there with you, alongside you, and it's there to take your work and break it down in a way that makes it easier for you to manage. Try Notion AI for free when you go to notion.com slash upgrade. That is N-O-T-I-O-N.com slash upgrade to try out the incredible power of Notion AI today. All of those letters, of course, lowercase in the URL. That is important. When you use our link, you're supporting the show. Try Notion AI for free right now at notion.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Notion for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's finish out with some Ask Upgrade questions for today's episode. Dave asks, after listening to the Quad Box discussion last quad week. Box. Quad Box! I wonder what you think a multi-stream interface could be like on the Vision Pro. With what seems to be an open canvas, the potential number of visible feeds and the methods to move, bring into focus, and arrange could result in quite the experience. Oh, I agree. I hadn't oh, really thought about it, but it, I know, it's, it's right? true. The challenge is bandwidth, right? Although, you know, depending on what the scale is, I think you down you downscale, you offer lower quality feeds and all of that. And and there's this question of like multiple apps, although wouldn't that be nice if you could take a video from one app and put it over here and a video from other, another app and put it over here. I will just say that while uh, tvOS is good at this or capable of this, iOS and iPadOS are not as good at this. So I think that's the that's the question is will vision os be good at this but this would be really great right to be able i'm sure apple will do it will anybody else do it i don't know right like if you have to use the youtube tv app and it's you know it's just going to show you a, a rectangle with four things in it that's a quad box but like what you really want is to be able to put those four things out of the quad box and just have quad boxes in your floating in the world instead but i love the i love the idea that you you can position a bunch of different screens in different places if you want to get that you know adrian Veidt at the end of watchmen kind of feel going on i got i got 40 tvs on right now and i'm watching them all at once it's pretty great right i love that i it's, genuinely it, it love is. that idea i think that could be super it fun. is i was I, a quad box is uh, good, but we we don't have to stop there, right? Some people look at a quad box and they're satisfied. Others look at the quad quad box and say, "What if Octobox? What about quintuple box? You know, let's mm -hmm. sky's the limit. That's Why right. Why even put a number on it? In Ultibox, Omnibox, Infobox. Anyway, Dean asks, yes. Jason, you have mentioned that you mount your Mac under your desk. Where under the desk? Towards the front, so that's accessible for plugging things into the front I.O. and pressing the power button, or towards the rear to be closer to the permanently collected connected items like monitors and power. It is closer to the front, partly because I do have to press the power button by reaching all the way around to the back, mm -hmm. uh, which is not ideal. And also my Mac Studio has has ports on the front, so it's nice to be able to plug things into the ports on the front. Uh, and then on the underside of the desk, yes, I need some longer cables to run all the way back around to the monitor. I have a power, I have power on the underside of the desk. I have a USB hub on the underside of the desk. So the underside of the desk is doing a lot of work. There's a lot going on there. So that's the answer. So it is toward the front. I'm still using a thing that was designed for like a Mac mini and a... Uh, 
and an external hard drive or something before they now you can get like on Etsy, you can get Mac Studio specific shapes. Um, I think Steven has one of those. But um, I've got the I've got an older one, but it, it, it's great. And since I have the M1 Mac Studio, it also means that I don't hear the fans. So that's nice. That is nice. Mm-hmm. Tim asks, since the iPhone 15 can take portrait photos without explicitly selecting portrait mode, does that mean it's now possible to capture live photos with portrait mode? Or do you still have to choose one or the other? Well, Mr. Photos? Yeah. Well, you you have the answer here, so just give it. I do. I just I wanted to give you the opportunity because you no. are, of course, the writer of. Uh, is it take control of photos? Take control of photos. Yes, but I I um, would have to think about it and and or check it on my phone. Which right, is I, I had checked video it. Of us, I wanted so to just give it. you a, a cross promo opportunity nope. here, but no, you Thank have you. to choose. So it's in the same yeah. menu. So you know, like up at the top left, you'd have the options on a live photo to change it to like bounce and loop and stuff like that. Portrait is now in that menu it's like where you can choose to turn on the portrait so if you turn on the portrait you'll lose the live photo feature right i hope they find a way to do that one day that would be super cool right like i mean it's basically cinematic live photos right yeah. that seems like a, a a definite future opportunity for them and i feel like you just you just named it you know mm-hmm. cinematic live photos yep let's do it that's what it is because it's cinematic mode it already does what portrait mode does so mm-hmm. you do cinematic live photos because now the the little menu um where it used to just say live now says like f live ah uh, yes so i have just done it to one and what you do you still have a live photo mm-hmm. but it isn't portrait mode so you right right you so have a portrait like, mode still and a live photo that's not mm-hmm. portrait mode it's not yeah. portrait live photo so right yeah. The fly photo itself is not portrait. Which would be fun. I think I think they sure could do that, but it's if they want to do it or not. But also, if you say, being... cinematic live photos is like a whole feature all of its own for the next iPhone, you know? Yeah. And Adrian asks, I'm trying out the No Case Club. Assuming you put your phone down screen up, I'm worried that the cameras would get scratched if you did that. But screen side down, the screen will get scratched. What do you do? Now, you use a case, right? Or do you not? I don't no. remember anymore. All right. So no case. Do you think about this? No. Neither do I. This is the Okay, Just, here's the thing. If you want to go no case club, you have to not think about things like this. If you think about things like this, you should put a case on your phone. Yeah. I just live with my phone. Like, I just live with it. Like, I've noticed I already have, like, a, a slight scratch kind of around the edge of the camera lens. But, like, that's the part that's supposed to get scratched, not the camera lens, you know? Because it's just like you're putting it down or whatever. Camera side down, I have never experienced having a scratch on a camera lens, and I have been caseless since the iPhone 10, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. If 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 you really if this worry like if that like kind of stuff you think about it, it worries you or makes you feel anxious, then I really recommend not doing it. Like I, I, it if it's not worth it for that. Like you've kind of gotta go with it. Um, and as David said in the chat, and it's true, like the, the camera lenses, are, they are actually sapphire glass. Like that, that is the strong stuff. Um, I wished. Yeah, I you're, wished. Meant, you're meant to lay your phone down like that. Yeah. By Apple, right? Because yeah. Apple, although they sell cases, the iPhone does not come with a case. That's because it is meant to be used. Like Apple's philosophy here is it's meant to be used without a case, but also there's a case if you want it. And it's meant to be laid down camera side down. and it's not meant to be scratched and it 
is fine. So yes, you're right, Mike. You got to kind of like, just let go. <laughs> be one being in no case club, be one with the phone, put it down, use it. Is it going to be affected by the world around it? Yeah, it is, but it's okay. I think it's going to be okay. I think it's going to be okay too. In fact, I know it's okay because I've done it for so many years. Me too. If you would like to get in touch with us and ask a question of your own, or if you have any feedback or follow-up, just go to UpgradeFeedback.com. That is where you can submit it. Until next week's episode, if you want to see what Jason's up to, you can read his writing over at SixColors.com and hear his shows here on Relay FM and at TheIncomparable.com. You can listen to me on many podcasts here on Relay FM. You can check out my work at cortexbrand.com as well. We're on the social media places too. You can find we us are. on Mastodon. Jason is at jsnell on zeppelin.flights. And I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on mike.social. You can also find the show as upgrade at relayfm.social. You can watch video clips of the show posted to Mastodon, but also in their natural places like TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, where we are at Upgrade Relay on all of those. And you can find our experimental full video episodes of the show on YouTube. We're also on threads. I am at iMike. Jason is at Jasonel. Thank you to our members who support us of Upgrade Plus. You can go to getupgradeplus.com and get longer ad-free versions of the show each and every week. Thank you to Notion, Delete Me, ZocDoc, and Electric for their support of this week's episode. But most of all, thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. 